turn with me now in your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 10 to 14 this morning. This happens to be one of those passages of Scripture that when I came to it this week in preparation, I trembled even at the thought of preaching it because it's so glorious. John Stott said that these verses constitute one of the clearest expositions of the necessity, meaning, and consequences of the cross. Wow, that's some huge stuff right here in this passage to be getting into. I have to confess that I feel like one pastor who put it this way, after preparing to preach this passage, this is what he said. I immediately got panicky and said, how in the world do I do justice to a passage like this? Then I said, I can't. And then I relaxed and wrote my sermon. And I bring it to you now. What he said. And that's the same way that I feel. I could preach this passage 50 different times in 50 different ways to bring out all of the glorious gospel implications that are seen here in these few verses because there's just so much to glean from it. So here goes just one of those ways in Galatians chapter 3. And would you stand with me now for the reading of God's word? Through 14, the Apostle Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is the word of God for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You may be seated. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that we just read. We thank you for the deep truths that are here in the scriptures And we long for these truths to not just remain on the page, but to sink their truths deep into our hearts today. God, would you do that for us? 
Would you press the truths on our hearts as you press the words of the songs that we sung before onto our hearts, that we would be moved, that we would be changed, that we would see it, and that we would be thankful, and that we would be excited, and that we would know the good news of the gospel and how it relates to our wearied lives. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. In June of 2017, he did the unthinkable. He attempted the most death-defying feat that I have ever seen. Alex Hanold, the world-renowned rock climber, began his ascent of Yosemite National Park's massive rock face, El Capitan, or El Cap, as they call it for short. This rock face, it stands at an astounding 3,000 feet tall. I get queasy just looking down from a rock to jump into the water on vacation from 30 or 40 feet as I've done before. That's pretty high, by the way, but but, but it's pretty scary, 30, 40 feet up. I get sick almost to my stomach thinking about looking over the rock. But we're talking here 3,000 feet of sheer steep granite. And as he stood at the bottom, he began his way up to the top of that massive rock formation. But here's the kicker. As documented in the film, aptly titled, Free Solo, Alex climbed El Capitan in Yosemite without a rope. Many others have attempted this climb with harness and rope. So if something went wrong, and inevitably something would go wrong, they would be not obliterated by the rocks below because they had a rope. But Alex, you see, early in the morning before dawn, and then three hours and 56 minutes later, he climbed that rock without a rope and reached the mountain's peak all without any harness, and all without any rope protecting him. That's amazing. Now, it wasn't some easy backpacking trip or hike here, okay? But a death-defying cliff. He climbed vertically with challenging and, and slippery foot placements onto the rock. And handholds that he had to get just right to keep him from falling to the bottom of the ravine. As National Geographic put it, this is celebrated as one of the greatest athletic feats of any kind. Honold's climb set the ultimate standard perfection or death. Succeeding in this challenge. Honold enters his story in the annals of human achievement. So as I watched, I stood amazed at the heart 
pounding climb. It was anxiety-inducing. I mean, no room for error, right? Perfection or death, as the article put it. And you know what? That is exactly what our passage this morning is all about. Perfection or death. Or, rather, perfection or curse. And we will see curse. We will see the judgment we will see the punishment of two kinds of curses in two different ways this morning. A curse on all mankind, and then even a curse on Jesus Christ himself. Now, I almost shudder thinking about a curse Of Jesus. It sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? Even to say that Jesus was cursed. So please kind of hang in there with me before we get to that. And we are going to first look at, in number one, cursed law keepers. Look with me again in verses 10 through 12 for this. For all who rely on works of the law are what? Under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Last week, We saw Paul making arguments to the Christians in Galatia, those believers, to try to convince them of the foolishness of relying on their own works of the law. He first, you see, gave a personal argument and asked them about their own initial conversions. He asked them, remember, did you begin by the spirit or works of law? The answer, of course, were obvious in their testimonies. These were rhetorical questions. Then, if you remember, he moved on to give a biblical example of who? Father Abraham, who even Father Abraham himself, who did so many wonderful things, was justified, not by the wonderful things he did, but what? By and through faith, not works, even Abraham. Now, as we just read here, Paul moves on and he gives other Old Testament biblical teaching to show them that in many passages of the Old Testament, like in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, in Habakkuk, he wants to show them here again from Scripture, even the Old Testament, that salvation is not by works, but by faith. And you see, he does that by bringing up a very serious dilemma For those who might be tempted to rely on the works of the law, whether the Galatians in those churches or you and me here today. Because you see, the Galatian believers were tripped up by false teachers to rely on their own works rather than living by the Spirit through faith. So Paul tells them that their attempts to do this are not only foolish based on their own experience about what they know about their conversion, 
And based on Father Abraham's own example of salvation through faith. But he also tells them they're foolish based on other Old Testament passages relating to and explaining the law in these ways that we're seeing here in our passage today. You see, because the, these believers were putting themselves in a really precarious situation. Quite frankly, it was a life or death situation of perfection or death, kind of like the situation of Alex Hanold as he was climbing El Cap without a rope. Paul's like, you want to go the way of these Judaizers and rely on works of the law, do you? Really? Is that what you want to do? And he says, well, you better be ready to keep 100% of the law, 100% of the time, no failure, no error, no nothing must be perfection. No slips and falls, none of that perfection. Any deviation from the law, he says, any misstep, any, anything that would, that would lead to a mistake. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to be falling to your pending doom. And Paul's like, you know what? I'm not even telling you anything new. Deuteronomy 27 says this very same thing in the Old Testament. And he quotes it. And Paul is pointing out to them saying, you want to work, do you? Well, you better be spot on. You better not make one single error. Because to rely on the works of the law is curse. If you break that said law. Alex handled his achievement of making it to the top of that 3,000 foot rock required what? Perfection. If these Galatian believers were going to go the way of the law... It would require perfection for them too. But it's not just for three hours and 56 minutes like Alex did. In fact, you see, Alex never has attempted that free solo of El Capitan again. Why? Because it wasn't some walk in the park. It was death-defying. If he went down from that mountain and tried it again, the chances we're only increasing that he would die. Just as many free solo climbers have died in the past, in fact, the majority of climbers who have made it a habit and a practice of climbing big mountain faces without a rope are no longer with us. Why? Because they died falling to their death without a rope. The point that the Old Testament was making about the law And the point that Paul was pressing here to the Galatians is that no one can ever come close to keeping all things written in the book of the law at all times. I mean, there are 613 laws in the Old Covenant. 613! And then if we add... To this dynamic, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and even inner temptations and desires and struggles that those are sinful too and the ways that we fail to glorify God is sinful too. Not just the external breaking the laws, but things going on inside. We realize that we are all cursed. 
Just like every last human being who lived in the history of the world outside of Jesus, of course. Because the math just doesn't add up, does it? Perfection or death. Perfection or curse. Every last one of the Galatian professing believers who ultimately may have abandoned the gospel and moved on to law-keeping without repentance, you see, they were going to be cursed. They were under a curse. They were dead on arrival. And so will you be, and so will I be, if we rely on our own doing and being ourselves. Serious stuff. Because here's the thing, church. Every last one of us, whether we're really religious or not, are all under this curse of breaking the law because we are sinners. And the Bible clearly shows us and experience in our lives demonstrates it over and over again. So actual law-keeping of the old covenant law, it just won't work because we could never keep it but regularly break it. And neither will any legalistic interpretations and applications of the law or things like that in our day. That won't work either. Since I've mentioned this series, the topic of circumcision and food laws and holy days, some of you may feel like you're off the hook because none of us are really struggling with those temptations now in our day and age, right? Like the Galatians were in those churches. But not so fast. We, too, can heap all kinds of rules and regulations and practices to somehow appease our own consciences and make us feel good about ourselves to try to feel and gain righteous credit before a holy God. Like I said before, the Galatians problem, you see, it, it continues throughout church history. Here's something to think about for yourselves to examine whether you fall into this kind of thing. Here's my question for you. Do you pridefully look down on others for not keeping your standard of living that you've set up for yourself. You see, pride reveals a hard, legalistic heart, a proud heart that says, look how good I am. Look at all that I'm doing. Look look here, what great day I had. I went to church, I helped people, I read my Bible and prayed and avoided this or that vile entertainment or activity. Look at me, I'm a model for you all. Why can't everyone just be more like me? I'm just so great. I, 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 I. But as we saw last week, whether you have a good spiritual day or a bad spiritual day, you are just as much in need of the gospel and his grace as as Jerry Bridges' quote pointed us to last week. Because we are desperate to God alone for his help and his grace in light of this curse that we're all under. Every one of us. We're all cursed. Any attempt to replace faith in God you see, is doomed to failure from the beginning. It's cursed. It's death. 
You can't keep climbing that rock perfectly because you're not perfect. Let's just say you too made it three hours and 56 minutes of perfection like Alex climbing that rock. (laughs) I don't know, maybe you were sleeping or something. (laughs) You won't continue in that perfection. You will soon fall to your doom if you're relying upon that kind of thing. Paul quotes Habakkuk here, another Old Testament example. You see, he's rooting this gospel in Old Testament truths. He says that the just shall live by what? Faith. This is what Paul has been belaboring here. We are justified or declared righteous by God, not by our works and by our being and our doing or our climbing or anything like that, but by God's unmerited grace alone through faith, trusting in Christ alone for salvation over and over and over again. He's hammering it, as Steve Lawson put it, like a bulldog grasping onto something and won't let go. The Apostle Paul's going to continue to put forward the gospel of justification, until he can get it through those Galatians' thick skulls so that they could see the truth of the gospel here. We need to see the truth, and we need to realize that any legalistic law-keeping is diametrically opposed to faith in Christ Jesus. You can't have them both. These are two ends of the Spectrum. One end, legalistic law-keeping leading to curse, and one end, faith through the Spirit leading to blessing. You can't have them both. You can't mix them together. That's Paul's point. So if you see this morning that you've broken the law and that you're not perfect, that you're cursed, and if you want to avoid this curse that you are under right now, And by the way, every last one of us is under this curse because of lawbreaking. We're all lawbreakers, as I said. We've all fallen at the bottom of the ravine, dead, cursed, and trying to avoid this curse by getting up and trying to climb the rock again. It's like Groundhog Day. Over and over again, climb a little, fall to your death. Climb a little, fall to your death. You see, there's only one solution here. There's only one way of hope for you. We just saw the way of our curse in point one, cursed law keepers, relying on the, wor- the, the works of the law. Those who rely on it will be cursed. When we now consider this question, for those of us who want to avoid the curse, what's the answer? How do I avoid the curse? The answer might surprise you. Because someone has to be cursed. If not us, might I ask, might you be wondering, then who? This leads us to our next point and number two. Cursed Christ substitution. Cursed Christ substitution. Let's pick up in Galatians 3 and verse 13 now for this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles 
so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Someone had to be cursed. If we are cursed, and we are, whether we know it or not, because we've broken the law, whether you know it or not, every one of us, because as James 2.10 says, and you can see it on the screen or in your Bibles, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And don't we fail more than one point? Don't we? Haven't we? Our whole lives failed in more than one point. We're in trouble. And so we're guilty. Do you see, though, the solution here in Galatians 3.13? Let's see it again from the text. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see this sacrilegious thought, as crazy as it sounds, of Jesus being cursed is the only thing to save you and me from our curse. He redeemed us. He paid our ransom. He took our curse. Dear Christian, your only hope, my only hope, is that Christ took our curse as a substitute when he died on that cross for you, for me, for us. Many people throughout church history and history of the world have died by way of crucifixion. Dying on the cross was not unique with Jesus. He wasn't the only one who died that way. Only these others were dying as what? Criminals on the cross to what? Be publicly put to shame. But Jesus was sinless. Jesus was no criminal. But Jesus paid the criminal's price, didn't he? And the quote here, cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree, was from Deuteronomy 21. And you see it was about open public shame of a criminal being hanged for everybody to see. Jesus took our cross bearing to be treated as a criminal even though he was sinless. I don't care who you are in this room. You're under a curse because of your sin. Now I want you to think about yourself and examine your heart and be honest about your sin and seek a savior. But whether you're aware of it and are honest about it or not, you're under a curse. It's interesting that the most well-known passage of scripture, you'd be able to quote it right now. You know what it is, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's interesting that that comes right after and is in the context of an illustration of curse and death and suffering from an Old Testament example. Did you know that? Did you know that John 3.16 was in the context of curse, death, snakes, 
suffering? Let me prove it to you. In just two verses prior to the famous passage of John 3.16, it says in John 3.14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This was referring to a story of Moses quoted right here before this famous passage, a story that's accounted in Numbers 21. And I want us to go there and see Numbers 21 for this, okay? So turn to me your Bibles to Numbers 21 or look at it there. It says this, Numbers 21 and verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Discontent hearts, not happy with the provision, not happy with their situation and suffering in a terrible situation, complaining, loathing. What what, what was next? Verse 6 says this, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. Now that's an interesting prayer request that you probably have never heard. Pray to the Lord that you take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a firing serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and what? Live. Enter John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent... In the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Look, we are all without a rope and falling over and over again from a rock to our death, like that feeling of falling in the pit of your stomach as you go. As you go, if you rely on the works of the law, that's what you're doing. We are all snake-bitten, metaphorically, due to the sin and our failure to keep the law. We are all cursed, dying of the poison within us, on our way to doom and destruction. But, but you see, Jesus took our curse for us. He was cursed by being hung on a tree. Not for his sin, because he didn't have any, but for yours and mine, for the believer's sin. So that snake-bitten people can be saved by looking. Not, 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 not for that anymore, but, but for something different. Not a snake on a pole to be saved, but a savior hung up on a tree to be saved as you look to Jesus in faith. He was cursed for you, for me. 
Without him taking a curse, you can be sure. Without him taking that humiliation and suffering, you can be sure. Without him bearing the wrath of God, the Father on himself, that should have gone to you and me because of our many sins, because of our many failures, our prideful hearts, our lack of generosity, our cold disposition towards the things of God, our failure to worship God the way we ought You see, he did all that because he was taking our guilt, your guilt. Condemned, he hung up on a cross. In open shame, public shame, for our shame. So that we could look to him and what? Be saved. Jesus climbed not only El Capitan for us, but he did it over and over and over and over and over again Not slipping once, not falling once, keeping every single law and doing it from the right heart and in the right way, all for you and all for me. He kept the law perfectly. He died on the cross and became a curse. He became a curse. Isn't that just unthinkable? Jesus cursed? For it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let that sink in for a minute. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who was sinless so that you, me, every believer, might become the righteousness of God. God, do you see that substitution? Jesus not only took our curse, he became cursed. Jesus not only suffered for our sins, the text says that he became sin. Who knew? No. Sin. You might wrongly compare yourselves to others and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy or that gal. That's just foolish pride. But Jesus really was not only not bad as any one of us, he was not bad at all. But he was treated as bad. And he took on the curse of a bad man or a bad woman, like you or me. He took on judgment. He bore our guilt. He took what we earned and deserved And he did it all by being nailing to a tree to die for you and me. And as verse 14 shows us, he did it all so that everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, could come to him. Let's see it again in 314. It says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All we have to do, dear Christians here in this room, is to put our faith in the substitute for sinners. Unbeliever, if you're here with us and you're visiting and you've never trusted Jesus, all you have to do is to put your faith in the cursed substitute for sinners and trust that over anything in your own doing or works or background. To trust Jesus. 
We can't earn what Jesus alone paid for on the cross as a curse. Jesus already went to the cross for you and he went there because you can't earn it. That's why he went there. You never could. And please realize that he did this all for you if you're a Christian. And if you're not, he did this for you so that you might trust him and be saved. Stop starting your way back up the cliff only to fall over and over again. As Tim Keller put it, rejoice in your status. Rejoice in who you are in Christ. And he said, be very, very careful about taking all your joy or all your sorrow or taking your very identity through your achievements. The text teaches us that we are cursed by doing. Cursed in our own supposed achievements. Your working and doing and supposed earning before God is all just curse, 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 curse. I, 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 I leads to curse, 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 curse. Enough of it. Quit seeking to go it alone. To do it yourself. To pat yourself on the back. To take pride in how you are superior to everyone else around you. That's a losing game. That's a fruitless battle. That leads to a curse. But if you look to Jesus, lifted up on a cross before you, like that serpent lifted up in the wilderness, look to him who had no grounds of being cursed himself, except for you. It's the only reason he was being cursed. For you, for your sin, for you, dear believer, for you who have been running from God. Come to him who is lifted up for you. He climbed the infinite mountain without a rope for us. So we don't have to experience the dread of the pending fall each and every single day. Because even as we were once cursed law keepers, if we're Christians here, we now have moved on in faith in the Spirit as believers clinging to the cursed Christ and His substitution alone for us and for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You. We are completely indebted to everything that you've done for us and our hearts are drawn to you alone and we're amazed. We stand amazed in the presence of you and what you've done in your cross. That Jesus was cursed for us is unthinkable, but we see it right here clearly in the Bible, all over the Bible. You've been pointing your people throughout the whole Bible to this good news gospel message. Would you help us all to actually believe that and live in light of that today with confidence and encouragement and a heart set on glorifying you in everything that we do and even hearts set on singing with hearts uplifted in praise to you right now.
in response. We say this in Christ's name. Amen.